Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week on the show, we have Orna Ross. Yes, we do. And it is a great interview. So informative. And I I just love talking to Orna. She's such, um, she has so much experience and she's so smart and I really enjoyed it. Yes. While we were doing this interview, I thought she's really wise. She's been doing this a while and she has some really good insights into just the different aspects of work of working as a self-publishing writer. Yes. Like we talked about, um, three different kinds of marketing. She's really good at breaking things down and identifying, well, this is breaks down into these three parts. And once you can see it, you're like, Oh, of course. But Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes somebody else to see it and tell us. And then we go, Oh, that's right. So (laughs) there's lots of good stuff in this interview. Um, I think my favorite thing we talked about, she writes in multiple genres. Mm -hmm. And I think the favorite thing, her favorite comment of mine was when I asked Karina if she had any tips for that. And her tip was one book at a time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Oh, that makes total sense. Thanks, Orna. Yeah, and it's so no, simple, it but yeah. a lot of times we just don't do it. So no, I think it's funny. Yep. Yeah. So what's been going on with you? Well, this week we had a, one of our kids graduated, and Yay! yes, it was very exciting. She graduated with an advanced degree, but mm-hmm. I decided a while back that I wouldn't share things about my kids online unless they shared them. If they oh, wanted yeah. to share them and put it out there, cool. Mm-hmm. So all I'm going to say is that she got an advanced degree and we we're so, so proud of her. And it was a lot of fun, a lot of hard work. And so that was like most of my week. I went to the graduation and we celebrated and we ate way too much food mm-hmm. and had a humongous slice of chocolate cake last night that was like oh and it seven people, but yeah. we, we put a pretty good dent in it. <laughs> and uh, other than that, I've just been working on editing my manuscript and it's going okay. I'm kind of mm-hmm. feeling all right about it, you know, in the, in the trenches with that. And, eh, yeah. you know, once I get to the end, I'll feel better. So, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What have you been doing? Uh, well, I'm home, but I, I guess I want to tell people that my sister is doing fine. Um, yeah. She yeah. is feeling all right. And we're just waiting now um, <clears throat> for a, another MRI and I got, <laughs> I got my second booster because I do have a health issue that required or not required, but it would be smarter for me to get the booster. And I didn't have a reaction with any of the other COVID shots. And I, <laughs> this one laid me low. I was yeah. very sick for about a day, not the day I got it the next day. And, yeah. um, but I'm fine now. And I did, I have started a kind of a secret project this week Hmm. and I'm saying secret because if it never happens, then it can always be secret. But uh, There's a lot of, uh, I don't know. It feels better sometimes to know. Yes. Totally anonymous. Yeah. I'm not telling anybody, but um, yeah. So I feel good about it and gotten some work done on the app. So that's what I've been doing. And we should probably get on with the interview because Orna is wise and has great things to say. Yes, let's do it. So here's Orna. Well, today we are really excited to talk with Orna Ross. Hi, Orna. How are you? 
Hi, Sarah. I'm very well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We're so glad you're here. I was just saying before we got, went live that we both um, admire Orna. And so we're very excited that she's here. We are. <laughs> so let me read your bio and then we'll jump into the questions. Orna Ross is a best-selling and award-winning independent author and poet. She writes and publishes literary fiction, family murder mysteries, and inspirational poetry. Orna is also director of the Alliance of Independent Authors, work for which the Bookseller Magazine has named her one of the 100 most influential people in publishing. She writes publishing guides for other authors and poets as Orna A. Ross. Very good. So, Orna, tell us how you got into writing. So I think I always wanted to be a writer, but I wasn't able to admit that to myself when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I, grew up, I grew up in Ireland where writers were um, at, at a time where writers were all dead white males. Um, <laughs> W.B. Yeats, George Bernard Shaw, Oscar yes. Wilde, mm-hmm. you know, really impressive Nobel winning um, writers. And girls just weren't encouraged <laughs> to write at all at that time. It's so changed now, but, but back in the distant past. Um, <laughs> so I thought I'd be um, a teacher. I would teach English literature and that's what I went to college to study. And of course, I didn't, um, I wasn't a great student because I was off reading books that weren't on the curriculum and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so when I came out, I did lots of different kinds of jobs. I didn't settle into teaching. Um, I, I loved teaching English lit, but I didn't love the convent schools which were kind of typical in Ireland at that time as well. Mm-hmm. So I did lots of different work, but then at at one point I thought you know what I really want to do is be a uh, be a writer so in my mid-20s I started writing articles for newspapers and magazines Mm -hmm. and I freelanced like that for a long time but always in the back of my mind I wanted to write a novel and so I began that in my 30s and um, yeah it was the death of a close friend then that turned me into Mm -hmm. a poet I had written poetry as many people do in their teens but I had kind of stopped but um, yeah, when when a close friend died, I found myself turning to poetry and I've been writing poetry as well ever since. So I do what I don't recommend other authors to do, which is I write, <laughs> I write across the three macro genre of fiction, nonfiction and poetry, which is all great. <laughs> Which yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That seems to be the story of my life, actually. That's what my children say, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna come back to poetry and kind of juggling all these different genres, but um, we always like to ask everyone, what is your definition of success? Yeah, I have a few, I suppose, but I mean, definitely when it comes to work, the the fact I live my definition of success in a way in mm. that being being able to do this, um, mm-hmm. you know, being able to create what I love and love what I create and, and make a living from that. I think that's just an enormous privilege. And um, so that's the definition of success. I also you know it's part of my definition of success is facilitating others to do the same I get I get a huge kick from that and it wouldn't be the same for me to just do it for me right. you know being part of a community and enabling and empowering others is something that I love to do and learn from others as well obviously as as well and I see so that's 
part of my definition. And I also see myself as part of a great creative movement that's happening in our time. And I, I actually think the human race is expanding and through all this creative um, activity, which is, you know, unparalleled in, in the human race up to now. So that also, I feel, you know, being part of that is part of how I define success. No, oh, I think that's lovely. I love, I wrote down, create what I love, love what I create. I just, and then make a living from it. So that is um, awesome. And so this creative movement, what do you, like, where do you think it came from? Why do you think now as opposed to before? Yeah, I suppose it depends on how you look at it and how I look at it is I I, I see, you know, we live in an expanding universe and I, mm-hmm. I think that, human race you know we take steps forward and backwards much like when you're writing a book it's not all a linear progression across the ages you know that we're getting better and better but I do think we are expanding and our our mental emotional and psychological capacity you know is larger now as as human beings so I think you know it is the next logical stage I think when you when you have satisfied certain needs um, psychologically and emotionally, you do move on to the creative and you want you want to create and you want to to be part of that. So I think it's it's something that, um, yeah, I just see it as part of the the development, if you like, mm-hmm. of human ev- human ev- evolution. Oh, OK, that's great. So speaking of that, what do you wish you'd known about writing in craft when you started? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I mean, there's so many things, and I, I, you know, <laughs> people tell you, don't they? They tell you all mm-hmm. these things, but you have to actually go through it and make your yes. own mistakes and, yeah. and fail and fail and not not get it particularly right in in order to to do it. So, one of the things for me would be definitely brevity. So it took me a long time to learn to write short and I actually credit poetry for that. So my it takes me a long time to write a novel. And one of the reasons is I write way too much and then I have to cut, 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 cut. And I am getting better at that. <laughs> um, but I don't think if somebody, you know, had said to me at the beginning, don't do that, I don't think I would ever have written anything. So yeah. In a, in a way, I find that that writing advice, um, while it can give you a shortcut, very often it actually doesn't. And you kind of it's afterwards when you've worked your way through it mm-hmm. that you look back and you say, oh, I wish there had been a shortcut yeah. here. But actually there wasn't. You had to yeah. do the work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's very interesting that you write long in your novels, but you also write poetry. So that is an interesting mix to you enjoy switching between the two yes I do um in fact I need to when I've been writing one or the other for a while I need to rest that part and then Mm. work work on the other and it seems like they they really sustain each other so since I've started writing poetry um fiction has come easier I don't Mm. I don't have to but I think also the longer you do it the easier it gets like anything Mm -hmm. it never becomes completely easy and I like everybody else I have you know hit that brick wall blank page every so often but um keeping busy is the other thing for me I if I fit writing in around other things it flows better if I have all day to write (laughs) nothing nothing (laughs) happens 
I think we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I think there. I am the same way. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that is interesting too to think that, like the we always talk about the advantage of being like staying in your lane and doing the same thing and not writing in other genres. But there is an advantage to writing multiple things because you're able to take a break and do something else and then come back, which is a nice kind of ebb and flow kind of pattern that many yeah, people don't I have. Think, yeah, I think it. it it depends on whether you're looking at it as a publisher or as a writer. And of course, as an indie author, you have to look at it through both lenses. Definitely as a publisher, I would have to say I wouldn't choose this way of writing <laughs> across the genre. But as a writer, I would have to say I love this way. Yes. So it's about balancing those two things out, I guess. And, and mm. as long as the books are selling. Um, but it does mean that you have to do everything over and over again so you know it's a very different branding exercise for the mm -hmm. fiction and poetry some some readers know me yeah. just as a poet some know me as a as novelist some know me just as as you know the author of the writing guides kind of okay. thing so and there's actually not a lot of crossover between those and um, there is some but 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 not a lot so each time the branding is quite different for each and you know You've got to have different kinds of newsletters and different guys. So you, the work mm -hmm. doubles and triples up, you know, yeah. as a result of it. But it's doable. Um, and I think I learned a lot that was very useful in terms of the day job, which is how I think of, of my work for, for Ally, <laughs> the Alliance of Independent Authors, because I think I can speak across a range of genre which you know if I just had stayed in one lane I wouldn't be able to do because it is quite different um yeah there's it, it's not so dissimilar at uh, promoting fiction and non-fiction but poetry is different and it's yes. good for me it's good yeah. for me to know about that and yeah. in terms of speak speaking to poets well speaking of marketing is there anything you wish you had known about marketing yeah <laughs> we're all there with you how long do you have oh, oh yeah. yeah I mean I was not a natural marketer at all um I had to learn everything the hard way and you know my best my best advice for marketing is I kind of came to realize very late in the day that there are really kind of three kinds of mar book marketing I think um, one is is the what I call access marketing, which is about developing that relationship with the reader and attracting them into your newsletter or you know whatever your funnel is, whatever way you do that. So that kind of attractor marketing. One is influencer marketing, reaching out through bookstores or librarians or book reviewers, bloggers or whatever. But you know, influencers are your target. And then the third is algorithm marketing, which is about trying to send the book up the charts and and get the algorithms to work for you. I got all of those all mixed up. So <laughs> I was just running around, you know, in a bit of a tizzy for a long time mm -hmm. <laughs> until I settled and understood exactly where I position myself. And the other thing that I think I wish I had had the confidence to do that, I, you know, I learned uh, by, by mistakes is to understand that the passion that fires the books must also fire the marketing and to bring those as closely together as possible. 
So I used to kind of don the marketer hat and become almost like a different person. Um, <laughs> but but the more I I kind of brought the two together, so yeah. the same sort of language that is in the books, the same sort of imagery and and connection, you know, that you're putting it from the same place. It made it far more enjoyable and creative for me, for starters. Yeah. But it also worked. So, you know, the reader picks up something in in that, you know, whereas when you're I think because I didn't have confidence in myself as a marketer, I was too markety in, in a way <laughs> at the start. And now I just have the confidence to not need to do that. Yes. So. Um, so, yeah, they're the two things I wish I'd known, the different kinds of marketing and also the that the thinking of them as two, you know, here's the writer over here and here's the marketer over there is not a useful way to think about it. Um, bringing, bringing both of those as close together as you possibly can, being really creative with your marketing, enjoying it as much as you enjoy writing your books. I think that that certainly has been the secret for me. And it's a secret I've now gone on to share with lots of other authors and I've seen it make a difference for people. So I, I do think that's pretty key and pretty central for most people, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, that almost falls under branding um, in, a, in a way, but that's one of the reasons I like TikTok because I can be Jamie Albright who writes small town Texas rom-coms on there. And it's, it is, it's not a persona, it's me, but a lot of the things I do on there are very, um, are the same way they are in my books. You know, the, the language I use, the, the way I speak and the stuff. And I, I think that that is what's so fun about it to me, as opposed to some other marketing that I do. So yeah, I, I get I, that. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but that's a very good way to think about it. Yes. And you're reminding me, I mean, it is branding. It absolutely is. And it's a heightened kind of version of yourself, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Um, Mm -hmm. That's in the books already and then goes into the marketing. The other thing you've reminded me of there that I wish I had known earlier was that marketing is not promotion. Promotion and marketing Mm -hmm. are actually two completely different things, Mm -hmm. you know. So obviously the branding and the author platform bit falls into the marketing, the kind of ongoing development of that Mm -hmm. and that voice, if you like. But promotion is is short, sharp and time bound Mm -hmm. and is quite a different thing. I used to get them all mixed up as well. (laughs) Yeah, until I got clear about those things, um, Mm -hmm. it it, it was hard work, whereas now it's a lot more fun. Hats yeah. off to you for doing TikTok, by the way. I don't think I could bear to take on the <laughs> social media. Very, my my children wish I didn't. My grown children <laughs> wish I didn't do it because oh, really? it's embarrassing for them. But um, and I love it. It's really fun. So what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career? And looking back, did they turn out to be right or wrong? Yeah, I mean, my writing uh, life falls into two distinct halves, if you like, because I came before, you know, I was writing and publishing before self-publishing was the thing. Right. So um, my first two novels were, were trade published and um, I had I had that whole thing. So before I, in inverted commas, got published, as we used to think about it in those days, <laughs> um, I thought getting published was the end of the journey. <laughs> um, and, you know, I just thought once I got my contract, I got a very nice um, contract at the beginning. I mean, after 
54 actually rejections it was mm-hmm. number 55 when I, mm. I I got the what I thought of as a kind of winning the literary lottery you know the golden ticket all I would have to do now is go home and write books and everything was going mm-hmm. to be wonderful and of course it wasn't at all and in those days there was very little talk I mean Authors talk so much to each other now. We've got wonderful communication systems. But back then you didn't. And most Mm -hmm. authors were afraid to speak out about their publisher or their agent. So there was a lot of smoke and mirrors. And I had a lot of assumptions, which were uh, illusions, which were shattered in the experience of actually going through um, the the experience of being trade published because we had a lot of creative differences. I had a very Mm -hmm. different vision for my books than my publisher had. I was shocked and outraged that I wasn't going to get any input into the marketing end of things. Um, I hated my covers, you know, so we had a lot of, we had a lot of, we had a lot of issues. Along came self-publishing. I didn't think it would be for me. I tried it instantly. I saw, oh gosh, this changes everything. The fact that you can keep your rights and still be out there. Mm-hmm. I knew because I had worked as a literary agent briefly and I knew the value of that straight away. So, you know, I I got myself. I mean, I don't think of myself as a technical person. I'm not at all. But I learned what I needed to know in order okay. to produce a book. And then I learned a lot as I went along. This was the biggest assumption. I made was that I was still a writer who was kind of somehow publishing and it's somewhere along the line pretty pretty early on it, the penny dropped you don't have a writing career anymore you run a you run a publishing business now and you know that was a that was a big penny drop for me and when I realized that and I realized that I am actually a publisher and I need to be a better publisher Mm -hmm. I need to understand marketing and promotion better you know publishing is not production that's one important part of it the editing the the design and the putting the book together that is one half of publishing but the other half uh, is is the rights um, licensing and the marketing and promotion and being a good publisher means being good at those seven different quite Mm -hmm. different pro quite different processes but once you get them they take a a little while to get but once you get them then they can be applied to every book Mm -hmm. so yeah that just that distinction between having a career and being in business that that's the biggest kind of um yeah eye opener for me yes Yeah. yeah You're very good at looking at things and parsing out the different parts of it yeah. and naming things. And that I think that's wonderful since you're, you know, so work with so many authors because it does help give a really clear view of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Just I think that's a great skill to have that a lot of us don't yeah. have because we're so into our daily word count. We must get the words done. Yes. We can't see the forest for the trees, <laughs> as my grandmother would say. Yeah, it's something I like doing. I like understanding processes and how they fall together. I'm very interested in the creative process as well, how it works and then how it works within writing and how it works within publishing and, you know, where they feed each other and then where they need to be. I'm just interested in that and how things work. I kind of like taking it apart and understanding it. It helps me to know what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, we always like, we've talked to, given a lot of good examples and advice on things to look out for and watch out for, but we always like to ask, um, have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? Partly because, you know, we like to focus on lessons learned. Do you have anything else that comes to mind with that? Yeah, I'm, 
I would say that every mistake is, you know, so that's my attitude. I I always view mistakes as as a learning kind of opportunity. And so uh, this happens to me all the time. Uh, you know, every day I make a small mistake. And, and, <laughs> I understand that feeling. Yeah. Some some days one one kind of um mistake after another, but I I often find that um the mistakes I made make are perceptual. So I think that's where mm. some of the things that, that, you know, I've spoken about already, they have come out wow. of me re- realizing you're not, this isn't going well for you because you're looking at it the wrong way, you know, right. so kind of take a step back and see, see why. So for example, that distinction between marketing and promotion came to me because I I kind of was throwing money at the problem at one stage and you know thinking if I just invest in this sooner or later it's going to kind of take and that really doesn't work and I realized I realized that because um it does work for promotion but it doesn't work for marketing was was what I kind of realized for me anyway my genre and my book so that was a big kind of the mistake that cost me a lot of money, but um, when I say a lot of money, a lot of money relative to what I had at that time, it's it's not a huge amount of money per se. But my point is the the pain of that, in a sense, it sharpens your thinking. You have to, you know, you have to look and see what's what's going wrong here. And very often, I find that the mistakes I'm making when I take a step back and I have a technique I use called free writing, you know, just everybody's familiar with, but I do it in a particular way. Free stands for fast, raw, exact and easy. And mm. I will take a step back if I've made, if something's gone wrong, I've made a mistake or something, you know, um, if somebody's mad at me or, you know, we've got something <laughs> wrong or whatever. I, li- I like to kind of wait until I'm not so emotional, take a step back and then free write around it. And then from that, I can turn the mistake around and turn it into an opportunity. So I actively work at doing that. Mm. Wow, excellent That's advice. really fantastic. <laughs> yes, I'm feeling quite convicted at this moment. Uh, I'm going to need some time in my prayer closet to uh, hash that out because that is amazing advice. Yeah. I wrote it down because that's, and I don't take a lot of notes during the podcast. That's Sarah's job um, yeah, because she's my podcast wife. And, uh, but I did write that down. <laughs> and meanwhile, my notes have all these little circles and stars on this side because oh, yeah. I've got to come back to this. This is good. Yes. Oh, no, yeah. It's very good. Um, so you've talked about a few of your mindset shifts. Do you have any big mindset shifts besides the publish, you know, that you're a publisher, not just a writer kind of thing? Um, that has changed um, during your career? Um, I think the concept, just speaking specifically about being a writer, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think this is a bigger shift, but it's, it's kind of something that I went, I, I went through, you know, if you look back historically, writers, defined themselves in different ways across across the ages so in say Shakespeare's time you were a playwright like there was a wheelwright and a a cartwright Mm -hmm. you know you Mm -hmm. were a maker Mm -hmm. you were a maker you were you were a crafts person 
then we got the romantics and we had the sort of the writers, artists and mm-hmm. um, and all of that. And then the 20th century, we had the write, writer as career, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe you're, you're part of a university or you're, um, you know, you need to, to kind of go through the influencers who can mm-hmm. give you a, give you a, a job as a writer or whatever. And then it's, it's now it's the writer as entrepreneur. And right. mm-hmm. that whole idea of the creative on, entrepreneur is is very current and very now, and it, it suits me very well. But I used to think of myself as the artist. You know, mm-hmm. that was how I perceived um, of myself as as an artist. And in more recent years, as I became um, a self publisher and eventually became a, a, a reasonably good one, um, thinking of myself as an entrepreneur allowed me to bring in the art, but not be defined by the art. So that was mm-hmm. that was quite quite um, exciting. It, it sort of felt like a boulder rolling off my back, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I can see just, that. Yeah. It, just became much more down to earth and I think it does go back to that thing of having this English literature background and as I said growing up in Ireland with all these giants and how people talked about writers almost mm-hmm. in hushed tones you know um whereas you know to be an entrepreneur is a very practical thing it's very mm-hmm. down to earth thing mm-hmm. my parents ran a business and you know it's it seems to me to be a much lighter thing to carry around so I um, I've enjoyed that mindset shift yeah yeah that's a great answer yeah yeah Yeah, it's interesting that when most of us start out focused on the creative and then eventually if we stay with it long enough we transition I feel like I'm an accidental entrepreneur like I didn't have that in my plans but I was like oh yeah I do have to learn how to do all this like sales tax and all this stuff that I didn't plan on so yeah it's uh, a lot sometimes but but I do agree with you it's to me, there's less pressure to be an entrepreneur than there is to be a master writer, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. And uh, I, I see the the difference there that you brought up. Yeah. Well, we touched earlier on uh, how you write across the different genres. Yes. So let's dive into that a little bit. Um, so we've, what advice would you have for someone who is trying to juggle maybe multiple genres, or um, I suppose it could also apply to the writing and the entrepreneurial side as well. Um, how, what advice do you have for that? Yeah, so again, learned painfully through mistakes. <laughs> um, one book at a time. If, okay. You know, one book at a time. I was going to say if possible, but actually <laughs> scratch out if possible. <laughs> just do one book at a time just limit it huh <laughs> yeah so you can write across the three genre if you must and um, mm-hmm. if you don't have to don't <laughs> really, you know it might make sense if you you know if you love poetry maybe to just keep that as a as a hobby you don't necessarily have to publish everything you write um you know so it might just be a sustaining thing to you but if you have to you have to and that's fine you absolutely can because I I really believe that you know if the want is there in us and this applies across life in in every aspect 
if you've got the desire in you and it's it's there, you can't deny that. You must give it its head and follow it, follow that desire wherever it's going to take you. Um, and, you know, it may take you to stopping or it may take you places you can't even imagine. But mm-hmm. if you if you really have the desire, follow it. But if you don't really, you know, if it's just a little kind of itch, um, I think you would be better to stick to, to one or certainly two genre if you can. But if you must then and you must write across the, the three, just stick to one. Know that, yeah, you, you do these three things, but that you concentrate on one book at a time because it's very easy to get caught into the fantasy of the other book. You know, <laughs> the book we're working on is always the hard one. And, the, the you know, the one we're thinking about in our head is always the easy one. Mm. And it's it's too easy to start swapping around. And I got myself into an awful mess, I have to say, where at one point I had so many projects open at the same time that I was I was spinning my wheels, really. And you forget as well. There, You know, a, a project has a momentum. So in terms of it's fine to finish a draft, put it aside, turn to something else and then come back to it. But it must be a finished draft, not a not a patchy draft. And so, yeah, one one book at a time, focus on that and stay with it. And one thing at a time is actually great advice for busy entrepreneurs. Um, just focusing on whatever it is is happening in the next hour and pushing everything else away <laughs> is is a good it's a good tip anyway not to you know not to get distracted I use the the um the focus um function on my computer all the time to turn things off and just just sit with with what I'm doing so that you know keeping keeping the focus on one thing I think is probably my biggest advice overall of that applies across the board for writing and for publishing yeah that's excellent yeah (laughs) and I think it's hard to do though I mean because it seems like there's a million things coming at us all the time but you're a big advocate for planning so tell us how you plan and why you recommend it for authors yeah I don't recommend it necessarily for every author, but but I definitely I needed it. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of interesting um, because I, I recognize that other authors who are kind of more natural, good planners, good marketers mm-hmm. need mm-hmm. to think about it less in a way. Mm-hmm. But what happened to me was because I was so busy, um, you know, with Ally and and my books and stuff and not to mention life and all the other other things we all have to do I had to plan because if I didn't I was just scattered I didn't feel it's more about I would get things done but it was more about feeling like the to-do list was endless the mountain of work was always there and no matter what you did you'd never got a sense of achievement or completion and so that's what planning does for me. And, and that's what I feel is so important. That means that I enjoy every day, a few times a day, because I know what my plan was and I know I met it. And it doesn't matter that that's a small plan just for, an, for the next hour or plan for the week or plan for the month. I plan around quarters generally. I think mm-hmm. 12 weeks is a great period, you know, time period to achieve something significant. But then that gets broken down into monthly and then into weekly and then into daily and then into what I'm doing next, mm-hmm. which sounds very complicated, but actually isn't at all once you once you kind of get stuck in to do it. 
And the other aspect of planning for me that was very important was recognizing that as a, a writer, publisher, you wear three hats. You, you've got the producer, the maker, and you've got the promoter and the planner, which we were talking about. But you've also got this, this aspect that very often gets overlooked, which is the, the managerial, the processor, you know, the person who looks after the creative process, but also the profits and, you know, keeps the whole show on the road, really. And it can be very easy to overlook that aspect of the work and not give it the amount of time and attention it needs. And so a kind of the planning system that I use um, focuses on the three hats that we must wear. And once I realized that was another kind of mistake or oversight, I wasn't paying enough attention to that aspect of the job. And mm-hmm. when I did, that made, um, again, learned, learned the hard way. When mm-hmm. I did start paying attention to that, I came to see how very important it is and how often it is neglected. So, yeah, that three hat system and and the planning just it means that every day is a joy that no matter it doesn't matter that I'll never reach the top of the mountain of work. I won't. I'll go I'll go out with a, a list of things to do sitting <laughs> <laughs> beside me. I'm sure of it. But as long as I'm getting that feeling of accomplishment. So I, I work with a group of, of authors of similar mind who need the same sort of support and structure. And um, at the beginning of the week, we, we um, lay out our creative intent hats for the week. And then at the end of the week, we note our accomplishments and some weeks what you've accomplished matches your intentions. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, most weeks it doesn't. You've either achieved something else or mm-hmm. haven't had a good week maybe, or, you know, whatever. Every week is different. But the planning allows me just an endless to-do list didn't work, didn't work for me at all. And this works much, much better. So just in terms of getting pure pleasure out of the work. That's great. And just having intention. I think that's really a great way to think about it, you know, because for me, it just seems like a big jumble. I've got my hands going around in circles, like this big jumbled list of things that need to be done. And I need to narrow that down. And when you do that, you do things with intention and yes, it brings you joy and it brings you kind of fulfillment. Yeah. So I love that. Absolutely. Being intentional is, is really core isn't it to mm-hmm. to being creative uh, you're yes. direct you don't get to drive the show or you don't mm-hmm. you know you're, you're doing it it's a co-creation with mm-hmm. all sorts of things other mm-hmm. people but also your own internal right. landscape and you know I have a sort of a faith in the creative spirit which is mm-hmm. Um, very important to me in terms of, and that's why a creative intention is not the same as a goal, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, where you uh, Mm -hmm. smart, smart goals don't work for me because they're too linear. They're too, they assume too much that you're in the driving seat. You know, I, I, I'm much better with uh, creative intention, which is more open, more allowing, more exploratory and experimental it just allows a a more creative dimension to come in and kind of carry me along and and it works much better for me and that the planning system that I use allows for that so it isn't I find a a lot of the planning systems that are out there really scary (laughs) (laughs) 
they're too, they're just too, you know, too linear. They make me feel like crap a lot of times. (laughs) I feel like crap about myself. I mean, it's like, gosh, I'm a big loser. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that you found something. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, I think it was when I started realizing all the admin stuff that had to be done, you know, because when you start out, it's just write the books and then you get some books out and then you kind of add the marketing and then you're like, okay, now I'm adding the marketing into the mix. And then you start going, oh, wait, I've got a catalog to manage now. And I remember thinking, my t- there will always be more. No matter how many things I crossed off my to-do list, there's like a shadowy to-do list, you know, <laughs> that I never got to, or that was like coming up. So it's knowing that you can look at certain things and say, okay, I've accomplished this. And that's enough for this week or this day. That's a really good way to look at it, I think. So absolutely. And in the planning system I use as well, we build in creative rest and creative play. So it's not just always about the work. It also budgeting time, you know, to consciously rest Mm -hmm. really helps the work, you know, and and play as well. I think we we can get too intense and too serious Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and find that the joy goes out of things. And, that you know, the key to that is actually budgeting some time for play and, and taking a more playful attitude and just, yeah, lightening up. It's only books. <laughs> <laughs> we take everything so seriously, don't we? Yeah. We really yeah. 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 Well, what are some simple steps if somebody wants to start planning more? What um, couple of pieces of advice would you give someone? Yeah. So if, if for authors, I do think it's really useful. Start thinking about three hats. So if you have a list, a to-do list, just categorize them. Is this a maker task? Is it a manager task? Or is it a marketer task? And, and you know, just putting them under, under the three hats in itself, I think, can really help. And then balancing those three realizing that you will always need to balance those three as an author publisher and so you might balance it in a way whereby you do a bit of those every day or you do a a bit every week or one week I'll focus on one the next week I'll focus on the other the next week it doesn't matter what you do as long as you are balancing those up in the way that they need to. I think we all need to focus most of our time and attention on the maker. So if we don't write mm-hmm. if we don't write the words and if we don't yeah. kind of put the books together, then we don't have anything to to apply the other two hats to. <laughs> but but I think it's also, you know, the, the managerial side of things where where we're processing, where we're realizing what we need to do in order for our maker to be well and happy and, and productive. Mm-hmm. There are things that the, the manager needs to do. And in order for a marketer to go out there feeling strong and, and, and well connected to the maker, there are things that the manager needs to do. So, yeah, just think, beginning to think about it in those. And then I think the other most useful thing is that idea of making time, making conscious time for creative play and for creative rest, as well as the work. It sounds counterintuitive. And actually, <laughs> a lot of authors find this very hard to do at the beginning. But when you do it, it's it's amazing how it resistance just melts away. So a lot of time very often is spent by authors, uh, you know, resisting, procrastinating, not wanting to do, and by consciously budgeting playtime and rest time, actually resistance often dissolves. 
So, yeah, they will be the two main things, I think. But I think um, overall, it's back to what Jamie was saying there about becoming intentional mm-hmm. and understanding that creative intentions are expansive and are fluid and not to be too rigid and not to be too hard on ourselves. So it's been awesome having you here. Um, what would you say is the best thing you've done to set yourself up for success? <laughs> um, connecting with other mm-hmm. indie, in, indie authors, mm-hmm. I have to say. Yeah, just the sustenance from the community. The understanding, I didn't know authors like me before. Right. And, you know, people used to always talk about writers just want to write. They want somebody else to do all the other stuff for them. But there's a whole load of authors who don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. And it was just so wonderful to meet meet the community. Yeah. Yeah. When I finally found authors that were doing the same thing I was, it was like, oh, there are people out here that are like me, you know, I found my tribe, which is yeah. a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so thinking before good. we got on about how we know you because of Joanna Penn and we met Joanna Penn when we first went to, I went to my first writer's conference. It wasn't Sarah's, but we were there together. That's how I met Sarah. That's how <laughs> I met Joanna and it, how things just go full circle. And it's so interesting, you know, and I'm so grateful that I have those connections. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so before we go, well, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about your workshops. Are those open in case anyone is interested? Um, how would people sign up if they're open? The planning workshops are for um, my patrons only. So I have, ah, I, okay. yeah, I have a, um, a limited number of people that I take on. Okay. And it's, it's through Patreon. Okay. Yeah, because, because they're small group only, they have to be. So, um, but I am working on a planning book, which will obviously be available to everybody. And there are planners in place, um, which link in with my book, Creative Self-Publishing. Okay. So it's it's available broadly uh, from that perspective, but the actual workshops are small group workshops through my Patreon. Okay. Well, that is exciting. We will put a link to Mm -hmm. the Patreon and your um, Creative Self-Publishing. So. Thanks very much. Yeah. So where can people find out more about you and your writing? Yeah. So my writing is at ornaross.com and the Alliance of Independent Authors is at allianceindependentauthors.org because we're we're a nonprofit. All right. Well, this has been terrific. Awesome. Yes, Orna. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know that you're <clears throat> struggling with a little bit of a scratchy throat, so we really appreciate you giving us all this great information and wisdom today. And um, thank you to Alexa Larberg for, for editing and producing the show. And thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed chatting to you and, and thank you for the work. You're welcome. welcome. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Take- Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.